0: now Melbourne restaurants are trying to come out into, into country Victoria, that that in a way is, is um, taking up a portion of what revenue we're trying to eke out of our market in a very minimal way that we're able to operate at the moment. Yeah, I feel quite, quite strongly that that is, is just not kind, being kind at the moment or uh, living up to what we say have been trying to do so much in this time is live local. And support local.
1: Today on Dirty Linen, we are heading back to regional Victoria to find out how it's going. And the person we are talking to is Diane Ray. Diane owns the Shared Table, a very fresh restaurant in Buninyong, which is close to Ballarat. When I say fresh, I mean it hadn't opened for very long before a pandemic struck us. That is not an easy thing to go through. And Diane, I am really, really looking forward to hearing how you're coping.
0: Thanks, Danny. It's been um, an interesting time. Would be I don't think there's quite a word to describe. Interesting doesn't seem to come close. But yes, that's probably a, a near near one. Um, we yeah we're coping. Um, it's been I heard her saying the other day that um, after a while, even riding a roller coaster isn't fun. And I think that pretty much is how we've. <laughs> felt in in dealing with um, all the different changes and how we have to adapt and rethink and rethink. So that's been an interesting time.
1: Yeah, well, I remember when we met and it was, I think it was December, it was at the Longhouse near Dalesford and we were both at an event celebrating fermentation. And when I think back to the event, um, we were crowded around a kitchen bench, we were passing food around, we were, you know, we we had a nice long chat sitting around a kitchen table, you know, with, with a bottle of wine or two going back and forth. It just seems so innocent in a way now to think about how how convivial we were allowed to be, how social we could be. Um, We must've been, (laughs) we must've been breathing on each other and mingling all kinds of juices, but it just (laughs) seemed seemed fine and very human and very warm and connected. And I really remember the passion that you spoke about, you know, your, your very young business at the time, and also all the experience that you brought into it. It, it, um, yeah I mean I really feel for you in, in being on that this crazy roller coaster, so so soon in your the journey of the shared table. Um, so yeah, there's so much to talk about, but what I would like to, I'd like to start with the now, and you've just reopened after being closed for our second lockdown. Can you talk about reopening and um, whether it's the beautiful uh, beautiful picnic that it, uh, people might imagine?
0: Um. Yeah. So the second reopening, because we did it the first time, and that was exciting. It was um a little bit daunting because we. You know, we were thinking about how do we do the COVID thing in our restaurant. We were very mindful of signage and having crosses on floors. and But also at the same time, we needed to create an ambience and make people feel welcome and that they were still celebrating having to come out and enjoy an evening with whoever they sought to share company with. So, and this time around we're a bit more ready for that. That was all in place, but this time we're only allowed 10 inside. And the first time we thought 20 was minimal in a restaurant that normally seats 60, but this time 10 seems, um, yeah, it's, it's just these people dotted around your floor space. And in my restaurant, we have a very much a connection between. The kitchen and the diner which is something when we recently built the kitchen we wanted that relationship between the, the kitchen and the diner to know that how we both interacted with with the meal and to see these few people dotted has been it's been a bit sad really um, and you know but they still come inside very excited and you still got to be excited with them so one thing I have found that they've walked in and they're going, you must be so excited to be open again. And I'm, I'm sort of trying to be excited, but at in, in the same hand, it's not because it's actually harder than being closed and doing takeaway and delivery. Because on that platform, you have time frames, you have minimal staff that you, you can have on board. Um, And you know that maybe by 12 o'clock on Saturday, everything's done and dusted because everyone's collected their finish-at-home meals for that weekend. Um, Whereas now, I think last weekend, it was a 12-hour day and we seated in our three maximum services, 32 people um, and could have no more. And I probably turned away 20 to 30 people who could not sit outside because it was snowing. So, yeah, it wasn't, wasn't the best.
1: I mean, Victoria didn't really turn on ideal weather for the, um, <laughs> the second weekend, I think it was, of, you know, people allowed to be open. It was, um, yeah, it wasn't very conducive to al fresco, was it?
0: Not at all. And I, I did offer it to the people who phoned to get an indoor seat. Um, and the, I said, you know, more than welcome to sit outside. We have a fairly good veranda area. It's not like they're totally in the elements, but it's still cold. Here in Buninyong, It most evenings at the moment, it's still down to six degrees, most often probably four, um, and I think the total temperature last, was it Thursday or Friday, got to three degrees outside, and that was during the day. So you know, we it, the f- the temperatures fluctuate madly, but and mostly if their top temperature might be sixteen or fifteen at the moment, that's only usually for about five minutes before it turns it, <laughs> turns south the corner again, and goes back <laughs> down the hill. Yeah. yeah. Oh,
1: goodness me. I mean, I'd, I'd like to feel that I'm an intrepid diner and I would just put on an extra jumper and, and some fingerless gloves and just seat myself out on that veranda. But to be honest, I mean, you might do it once, but you're not going to want to do it three times a week, are you? you? I don't know if any of us are so intrepid to um, support restaurants by dining in the snow. I mean no, it's yeah, yeah, it's a it's a big ask. Now you mentioned the the long day that you had to serve those thirty or so diners. What about financially? Like was it um was a you know, was it on a par with the takeaway that you'd done let's say the weekend before?
0: No, not at all. Um because you because we have an extra staff member to do front of house as well. Um, you know, we sometimes it'll just be I have um I didn't qualify for job keeper being such a newbie and we um ha- I have a young fellow who wants an apprenticeship um he's just turned 18 and is really good in the kitchen so usually it's just he and I doing service and um we sometimes get a front of house so that's an extra staff member so that that adds to the costs there we're around longer so like I was saying before usually we could mm-hmm. do our takeout and or delivery we have it in set times so that was um, it curbed the, the staffing costs but having be there for, for lunch dinner it means that we we're there for a lot longer and prepping as well but we're serving so it does create a lot more cost for staffing wise um, that we have to be ready to do that. And, and our when... takeaway is, has dropped off as well because we're open. So now our delivery and we call them pickups because they're finished at home meals, they've really dropped off because people expect to come out and dine again. Um, so we've got none this week. So it's I'm still trying to work out why that is that it's now so, so reduced because we need that to that's prop us up. interesting.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's interesting, isn't it? That you would think if people couldn't get a booking with you I mean they're not then saying oh fine I'll just order some takeaway what I mean what do you think they're doing instead?
0: Well I think uh, most restaurants have opened even though it's 10 diners Um, maybe before in the first lockdown we there was restaurants that didn't reopen or it, the other thing it could be is, um, and I've been a bit perplexed about this, is that there is um, now Melbourne restaurants through a um, a body is offering meals to Victorian regional Victoria coming out of Melbourne to offer meals that are finished at home um, through from great restaurants in Melbourne. And then as much as I applaud that and think it's great, I just don't think that's a great time. So whether that's having an effect on us as well, I'm not sure. Um, yeah. So that's, that's a
1: tricky one, isn't it? Because I suppose Melbourne Melbourne restaurants are looking at other ways that they can, you know, uh, increase their revenue and there probably is demand in country Victoria. I suppose a lot of people in your part of the world would often come to Melbourne to dine. So I suppose there is that um, pent-up demand. But at the same time, I, I can hear how yeah opening is not the magic pill for you so mm. um yeah it's a it's a tricky one to think about um, mm. cause, I mean we don't normally think about metro Melbourne and regional being so sharply demarcated but indeed there is um yeah what is what the, there is that ring of steel around the city at the <laughs> moment it's uh yeah it's it's a tricky one
0: yeah, I remember and um, I think you, you were one of the people who advertised and and spoke out about a group called Merivale coming from Sydney down to Melbourne in July in the first lockdown and there was great um, discussions from various participants in Melbourne restaurant scene to say it's not the time for Merivale to do Merivale at home in, in Melbourne. So um, it was like you know trying to move in in a market that was pretty decimated and um, taking up a portion of what revenue's left for us. Also, that's I sort of feel it echoes that a little bit that now Melbourne restaurants are trying to come out into, into country Victoria, that that in a way is, is um, taking up a portion of what revenue we're trying to eke out of our market in a very minimal way that we're able to operate at the moment. And a lot of these businesses are family-owned. They're, they're the fabric of our communities So I, yeah, I feel quite, quite strongly that that is, is just not kind, being kind at the moment or living up to what we say have been trying to do so much in this time is live local and support local. And yeah, I'm just, it sits uncomfortably with me that that's what they're doing at the minute mm
1: yeah, I mean I I I can see it from both sides. I suppose you know, in many ways we're told that we're all you know, we're all Victorians, we're in it together, we're clicking for Vic um we're yeah, we're earlier on we were uh, we had our empty skis that we were filling up. so it's um, yeah. yeah, in in one way, I guess Victoria is seen as as one, but there is um yeah, of course, you can think of local in so many different ways can't you I mean local I guess it's Australia it's Victoria it's um yeah it's your it's your postcode it's your town so um yeah yeah I mean yeah, I guess our population
0: here wouldn't wouldn't necessarily be wanted. Our food is not necessarily seen to be into integrated back to Melbourne, so it's a, it's not a two way street. So that you know, it's sort of like it'd be easy if we were on even playing fields, and you know, someone would say, "I'd love the shared tables meal down in Carlton," but they can't do that. So yeah, it's not mm. not the same really.
1: Yeah, yeah. What, well, tell me a bit more about the shared table and the meals that you do. What what is at the heart and soul of your restaurant?
0: Um, our restaurant is a space that we do what's called dine without decision, and we have a minimal menu so that we have minimal waste, um, and we we basically cook to what we need. And I often have people are in our community who drop off excess goods and bits and pieces that we then use in our menu and we plan our menu around we change it often and um, a lot of people have really loved that they've loved coming in not having um, you know sort of food envy of someone else that's got you know they've, they should have chosen that <laughs> one um, <laughs> I have um, but yeah we've had some wonderful people I've had so many limes contributed and citrus this year it's been And just this afternoon, I got a delivery of rainbow chard. So that'll be on our menu for a group that are coming in tonight. Um, Oh, lovely. So what are you making for them? Pardon?
1: What are you making for your
0: group tonight? um, The menu this week, we have, um, I've got smoked pork ribs that are done in a black caramel vinegar. We have um, our take on prawn toast. We're doing a black garlic chicken Kiev and all organic veg that are cooked with miso butter, and finished off with some pickled house pickled cabbage. And we're doing a twice cooked souffle with um, homegrown rhubarb. So yeah, that's
1: what we're doing. Sounds so good. If I could get that in Melbourne, I would. Um, And what about the (laughs) chard? Where's that going to end up tonight?
0: The chard will end up um in the mix of organic vegetables. We have a beautiful um spring mount organic veg here, and we will mix it through with that with the miso butter that gets. So it's just a lovely and it's with edamame beans. It'll go with the chicken Kiev, the black garlic, which is also local from over at Spring Creek in near near Creswick. So we try and oh, yeah. use a lot of what's grown around here, and and um there is so much that's good, and wholesome and and community still and that's when I built my restaurant we kept it community I had um, a Melbourne architect that um, helped with it and I did the project management of it so I could keep all our trades local so that our money went back into our community. So I have a I do have a real sense of community and maybe that's why I'm sort of not all that happy with people upsetting community at the moment a little bit from hospitality community probably is also
1: Mm. yeah (laughs) I know that one of the things that you you wrote to me by email early in the pandemic gosh feels like a long time ago now and you were already thinking about the other side and reopening, and one of the things that you were focused on was a greater understanding among the public about what it costs to run a restaurant and what it costs to get food on the table, um, mm. and whether indeed this was an opportunity to reset some of those expectations around what meals in restaurants should cost. Is that some is that thinking that's carried you through the past past months, and do you feel like it's this still is an opportunity to to reset diner expectations in that regard?
0: Um, yeah, I'd, I've cooking has been my second career, so I've come into this as a fairly mature adult with many tastes and explore, explorations of restaurants and so forth around the world. I used to be a nurse in my previous life, and I came into. And a mature aged apprenticeship and thought wow these guys work so hard for so little what is this you know and I was just dumbfounded that that about the and then I reflected on people who belong to wine and food groups and their expectation of what a chef could put up and then they would haggle with them about the price and try and beat them down on the price of what it would cost because they feel that, well, they didn't pay us that for a steak in the supermarket. And they didn't mm. see what went behind the guys first acquiring great produce, then paying homage to that great produce and actually working with it, getting the best out of it and providing that great hospitality and generosity to their clients and I, that, that's how I saw it from coming from the other side. And it's been something I've always tried to, to educate people that I know utilise the hospitality a lot. And and from a consumer and from now sitting on the side of being a chef, um, I, I have a lot of conversations with friends and people about, do you realise this is what goes on? Um, so it would be great to have that as a broader-based perception out there to to the public that of what actually goes on and how much it does cost people and the the margins that people operate on it just doesn't bear belief sometimes and now it's it might be a place to throw that open especially um, when people walk in the door and say aren't you excited to be open with 10 people it's like well do you realize I'm merely handing you dollars to come into my restaurant? You know, because at the moment I'm just trying to keep its spirit alive, its word alive and keep my, it, it's a form of promotion and and advertising for me because our name isn't even out there. No one knows we exist because we're so new. So that's how I've rationalised my costings at the moment, but it'll have an, it's not infinite either. Mm.
1: So how much is your menu at the moment?
0: The how, It's a $65 menu.
1: And what do you three, reckon it should be? Courses. Yeah, that um, seems really cheap. So what do you think it should be for, you know, you to be able to, I mean, let's let's perhaps not think about 10 diners, but when you're allowed to have a full restaurant, what do you think a reasonable price for your menu should be?
0: Um, the reasonable price for the I menu, I mean, I've tried to keep it price pointed based on ingredients at the moment. So um, our ingredients are fairly easy, accessible and not, um, expensive but if I was to do expensive menus then on an average I imagine it would be at least an, an $80 food menu per person on the three courses and um, and that, that would be, yeah, I'd see that as being reasonable.
1: Yeah, it sounds reasonable to me. I mean it sounds like you put up a generous amount of food, it's very obviously very thoughtful, really expresses the area Um, so yeah, it, it, would it be scary to put your prices up to, to that point where you think it's, it's reasonable?
0: Um, being so new and I am very new at this as well. So I put my hand up very much on that. The, I would find it scary at the moment because, um, so new, we're also not filling up at the moment because people are still very tentative about coming out. So I, last week on our f- mm. first night, we had 10 in the first sitting and then we had two people come in the second sitting. So, I, yeah, I would be frightened to put it up a bit and I don't know how to quite deal with that, but it would be m- once we're better known and known for what we do that then that would come.
1: Yeah, it's so tricky. Like it's so it's so hard to be a leader in that space of putting up prices. I know that customer. I mean, restaurateurs that I speak to and and cafe owners perhaps even more so talk about how price sensitive customers are and that Mm. people will go down the street if your coffee goes up 20 cents. So it's just, um, it's, it's such a tricky balance because you don't want to be working for nothing either. And yeah, I suppose you want to have, Mm. That cash, that cash flow, to be able to put on premium ingredients. That if you, if that's just what you feel like doing, or if that's what's amazing at the moment, and yeah, that you want to give your customers that experience, but in, but it inevitably costs a little bit more.
0: And we're also in a very small community here. Buninyong is barely 5,000 people thereabouts. Don't I may have got that wrong. But um, we're just on the outskirts of Ballarat. We're probably a 10 to 15-minute drive from Ballarat. Um, and it's, yeah, because there's a lot of people in Ballarat who still don't know we exist. So there's not that. The, we're still operating very much within a small community and slowly but surely it's getting a wider, wider consumer base, which is good. But I think the pandemic's mm. also been difficult in getting that. But it's in saying that we've also had some great um, advertising and things from within the Ballarat Council. They've really tried to to start advertising for different businesses and putting their name out there so that customers know you exist. So mm. yeah, that's that that has been good. But I'm finding yeah with. With whether people come in or not, it's still very early days, and they're still very tentative. But there's, yeah, yeah. Um, from sorry,
1: I'd I'd love to talk about your apprenticeship and and doing um, becoming a chef as a second career, and what it was like being a woman as an apprentice uh, in that period. Like, did you did you find it find it hard, and do you think there was anything about about being a woman that made it particularly challenging?
0: Um, I entered my apprenticeship in my early forties, and I yeah went to Melbourne. My the I did my apprenticeship with a fellow by the name of Peter Ford, who is a caterer, and he agreed to take me on as a part time because I had four young children at the time, um, and we um, yeah it was it was he was very good. I never f- the. Yeah, he was very tolerant to the point that um, it's, it was a very complicated apprenticeship. In that, I developed breast cancer um, eight months into my first year apprenticeship, and had to do surgery and chemotherapy, etc., for the next thirteen months or so. Um, wow! Which he he was a, he was just such a brilliant um, fellow in supporting. Knew I had to. I all I wanted to do was was feel normal and go back to work and he knew in between my chemotherapy that I would come to work and work when I could and I was probably more hindrance than a help but he was very tolerant of that and it kept me in touch with my community and my my wanted to keep doing my, my course and have my hands in food which was very therapeutic. Um, I finished my apprenticeship. I also found I was at William Anglers at the time and um, they were all very understanding there and I, I remember um, there was a, a lady I had to, I really wanted to get my exams out of the road so my first year exams would be finished and then when I came back I could, could recommence. I knew I'd finished my first year of theory and everything but to do that I had to do a practical cooking lesson and I only had one arm that I could use because my other one wasn't operational at the time post-surgery. And wow. I had a helper, I had a helper in me in the kitchen to help me fill pots and clean and to help stir if I needed to whisk, you know, if I was making a roux or something like that. And it was um, I, I remember it was Elizabeth Chong's daughter, I can't remember her first name, but she was brilliant and helped me out a lot so I could do that and say yes I've done that and then I could proceed with my chemotherapy and and focus on that and yeah it was so that part of what I had a very and I don't think being a woman came into it then <laughs> it was more about yeah, that, um, <laughs> yeah about going through the journey and and making sure you, you, not just your physical health counted but your mental health counted and and that gave me a lot of normality which is desperately seek, you seek that at that time. Um, I then left, I left um, after I finished my apprenticeship, I went to another restaurant which was brilliant but it was a very boysy kitchen and I'm probably a tomboy at heart so I didn't find it too confronting. Um, there were some women who only lasted two weeks there but generally I loved it so I never had an issue other than my age probably. A lot of people would hang it on me for being old, but no, they were they were good. No, they were good. Um just yeah, just the usual kitchen banter, which is is I find it entertaining and I, I love to contribute to it as well. So um I, did, <laughs> Great. Yeah. I think if yeah, I think for myself, because I was older, um, and if there was anything that was directed at me being a woman um it it wasn't i didn't see it as i didn't i didn't feel it was a, a problem because of my age I, I and a lot of them were a lot younger so i never got any of those issues so no but they were good they were good fellas yeah so mm. no but wow then, you do have to prove yourself a lot more though i did find like you were very much relegated to do, to desserts and salads and i came to understand that it's very much like the like the barbecue at home, so the boys do the barbecue, and the girls get thrown on the desserts and salads and sandwiches. And it—if you want to muscle in on this on the barbecue, you have to really prove yourself.
1: And so you made it your business to prove yourself.
0: Yeah, yeah. i am i am not a dessert girl, and they were quite surprised by that because I think a lot of girls do gravitate towards desserts, and it's a terrific part of 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 being a chef um and I take my hat off to anyone who can do desserts but I I love playing around with savoury and flavours and robust things and working out how to make connections between different stuff on the on in within a lot more parameters than just desserts and yeah so I had to work pretty hard and was
1: it a, was it that pure love of food that um, took you away from being a nurse to being a chef?
0: Yeah, I always, um, even being a nurse, I'd I'd often take my little granny trolley down to Vic Market um, on little explorations and find weird, wonderful ingredients that I didn't understand and wanted to play with and use them, and then I sort of gravitated towards having dinner parties at home for 20 people sometimes, so I could have an excuse to cook and do things. Um, yeah, I, I, I've always loved it and I set up, um, helped set up a, a farmer's market here in Bunanyong way back in the early days and also was part of slow food before I was a chef. Um, so, yeah, I've always had a, had a, had a, a vibrancy towards... The foods and its journey and working with flavors, I see it like a jigsaw puzzle where you put pieces together to find the the whole whole bit, which is flavor, texture, um, and and how it looks.
1: Mm. Yum! Just it, I just I feel like as you're talking, you're putting a big comforting, colorful bowl of something in front of me. I can just really <laughs> sense your love of food and flavor. Um, do I? Uh, we've heard quite a bit about nurses through the pandemic you know they've um, been on the front line we've uh, we've honored them but they've also so many of them have worked so hard and in such difficult circumstances do how do you feel about that like do you do, is it there part of you that wishes you were part of that nursing effort at the time
0: or are you just glad that you're well out of it no not at all i would i would um, i actually when when the pandemic first started and we were closed our restaurant and all the rest of it, I actually went online and um, and spoke to a few old mates and thought I could actually re-enter and help out in some form, not as a nurse as such because I'm not registered still, but I still have a good knowledge base because I worked and taught n- nursing. I was a clinical nurse specialist in the emergency department and I felt that I still had and still have skills that would be relevant to sorting or taking bloods or, you know, on basic, just the basic things to do with stuff. But they, yeah, these guys are, and that's, you have to be passionate to work there as well. You have to have a dedication towards what you do. It's a, it's, it is it's, above and beyond and it's sort of like what chefs do. I see a real sort of kindred thing there. A lot of chefs are very passionate about what they do and the hours they put in and the focus they do, and it's the same in the medical field. Um, I have two kids that are in the medical field and have both been working in Melbourne hospitals during this time, in COVID wards and in emergency departments. So, wow, yeah, yeah they've um, they um, yeah. So I do, I feel for them and I look look at them every day and I, yeah, I'm very. Really, proud to see and hear what they've done and and that they continue to do you know and I mean we're pretty fortunate here it's when I look overseas and see the enormity of what those guys must be facing every day for months and months on end the grind that they must be doing and um yeah it's and I can't even express it it would be it would be phenomenal you know the first couple of days you'd probably be yeah okay but months later it must get pretty pretty overwhelming
1: and are your kids doing okay
0: yeah they're good they're good yeah there's they're staying well and um one of my son he's doing psychiatry and he's he's really he's having some tough days because um he's not you know he he's deals with a lot of very difficult cases at the moment which is on the uprising within Melbourne and my daughter mm. she's been yeah she was she's been in the COVID wards doing some work and now she's worked just finished in the emergency department in her rotation but they sound wow. right they're yeah. good yeah great that's good um Dye, I'd love
1: you to finish by uh talking about career change and perhaps just sharing some of your experience and some some advice if you have any. I know that a lot of people that are in hospitality have used this period or it's been put in front of them to you know to really ask themselves you know is this what I want to do is there a change that I want to make whether it's within hospitality and uh, some people might be even considering careers outside. Um, What can you tell us about about career change and about following a dream in the way that you have?
0: I think you just need to be ready to do it. It's um a fairly big jump, um you know, For me, and financially, it was needed to be considered in that my personal income would drop a great deal going. If I was to pursue nursing, it would it was a much better income stream than if I was pursuing to be a chef, especially being an apprentice for three years. In my case. For seven, <laughs> um, mm. so you, there, there's lots of things to consider, and I suppose it just depends on your time and place. My, um, we whether you've got children or a supportive partner, all those things of which I had ability to to take on that apprenticeship because my employer agreed to it doing being part time to take to take um, into account the fact that I still had to rear four four children um and my partner my, is very supportive as always has been um yeah and finding the right employer to to let you do your journey into something new um, is also very important um it's yeah it's it's a tricky one because it, a lot of things have to line up I I would probably nursing wasn't an option for me at the time and I um, I I sort of explored doing – helping out doing some kitchen work at the beginnings and really loved it and thought, well, I might as well try – maybe I can do an apprenticeship and make it count while I'm working here. And the, and my employer agreed to to take me on in a part-time basis. So it, that's – then I could actually do what I really wanted to do. It was terrific.
1: Mm. So, yeah, but you really – Explored and exploring each each step took you down further down the path to where you are now.
0: Yeah, yeah, it was. um, I I just sort of I just loved fitting into the kitchen community, the kitchen, the way it evolves with the way you prepare food, and it was just another fresh way of looking at stuff and um and I dabbled in food I realized but this was actually making I could actually see how it all came together and how you could make things differently or change it up a little bit or it was just really yeah kooky and um (laughs) I just could grab it both hands and keep going it was it was fun and it was hard very hard but it was worth it if that makes sense Absolutely, a lot of, people, and I mean, a I, lot of people think I'm mad, anyway. But that's cool. <laughs> <I'm> just, yeah, <laughs> but no.
1: Well, it's um, it is certainly a long and circuitous path that has taken you to where you are now. And of course, uh, none of us had predicted the um, the extreme challenges of the past seven months. I really wish you many sunny days i wish you a full dining room i wish you supportive customers who reckon your menu is just a little bit too cheap um and i wish i wish a very bright future for the shared table di thank you so much for sharing your story today it's been an absolute pleasure to um to hear hear what you've got to say thank you
0: and thank you danny for being such a great champion of many
1: This is Dirty Linen, and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about. We spend a week thrashing around each issue, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you.
0: This is a Deep in the Weeds production.